they realize their best option may very well come by way of a trade. So they're doing their homework right now on guys who are under contract with other teams. That does include Deshaun Watson. That does include Russell Wilson, two guys who have no trade clauses in their contracts. And of course, Watson obviously has a very complex legal situation, but he has indicated some interest in going to the Buccaneers. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, rolling on. Good spot there with Lisa Guerrero. We bring in another one of our favorites, Football Insider. On a Wednesday, Caleb Herring, former UNLV quarterback, one of the voices of Rebel Football, is here with us. Caleb, how you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm, I'm doing, doing good, good Steve. Steve. I'm, I'm doing, doing really good. good. How, are how are you? I'm good. I'm a stone's throw away from uh, – Fresno's football stadium. We'll see what kind of crowd shows up here at the uh, Save Mart Center. It's a, you know, it's a weird deal around the Mountain West Conference. Some of the football schools simply do not draw for basketball, and I don't get it. In Fresno, they'll likely have less than 3,000 here tonight, Caleb, and they're actually pretty good. Justin Hudson runs a nice program, but they've had trouble getting fans out for basketball. It's weird. I don't, I don't get why some schools – can have one or the other and, and not both with good attendance. Yeah, I, I, that's, that is a weird thing. You'd think the atmosphere of sports should kind of ring true through the whole academic system, right? Um, yeah, I, I, you would think that some of that uh, would be a translation as far as, like, the teams, the sports programs all having support. What's up, buddy? Yeah, and, and also, like, what else is there to do in Fresno? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Caleb, what's up, man? So, uh, yeah, what else is there to do in Fresno? I think that's a, that's an important question, too. It's, it's a very important question. I mean, I've been several times, and there's not much else to do. <laughs> I mean, I hear the high school football scene is pretty good, but um, when you got a university in your in your community, you would think that anything the university is doing in Fresno would, would probably be the priority for, for fans to attend, right? But – I guess that's not the case. It's it's kind of it's kind of strange that it works out that way in some of these communities. But hey, it's a football town, I guess. They they know what they would like and and they like their football. And I know that you've talked you've talked about this before, but just you know you can put it in perspective of how frustrating is it to be a player and to be grinding every day and doing everything you possibly can, and then you look up and you see empty stands. There's there's a part of everybody's ego that wants what they do to be appreciated, and that's yeah. you know whether you're playing sports or any job that you're performing. If you're working hard and putting effort into it, you want to be appreciated for it. Um, and UNLV historically is, is a basketball town, I would say, and there's no doubt about that. Um, so I felt that a little bit um, being a football player where basketball was priority a lot. And it's not just, you know, necessarily the administration itself or the program. It's the fan base. That's what they've grown to know and love. Like when people think about the brand of UNLV, they think running Rebel basketball. That's There's no doubt about it. They think Pack the Mac. They think about Tark and and those early 90s teams, right? So, I mean, you're fighting it up a battle against that. So it is frustrating at times to invest your entire work ethic or your 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 passion into something when you know you're not going to get that, I guess, uh, gratification or that that appreciation on the back end with, with the fan base in the community. That's, of course, Caleb Herring, former Rebel, and you can hear him on the broadcast. We get to get to share his opinions, to hear his thoughts every single week here on COVID and Company. I wanted to get your thoughts on the Super Bowl for sure. Uh, last two drives between the Rams drive that went for a touchdown and the Bengals drive that fell up, fell short. Um, what were your thoughts on, on both of those drives and how they played out, particularly uh, from the quarterbacks there? 
Well, from the quarterbacks, you saw kind of the uh, <laughs> what you what you really hope not to see from the Bengals in a situation where you you know you're trying to come back and what people what maybe said the Bengals should have drafted and spent some money on with some guys up front that can just protect Burrow and give him a chance to do wonderful things for you down the stretch. Um, and you saw how how a quarterback in some ways in a lot of ways can be limited by what he has to work with. And I think there's no doubt in my mind that people when they saw that there was a minute and 30 or however much time left when Joe Burrow took over that he could get you a field goal. He could get you down in field goal. And there's no doubt that Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase could get it for you. But then the question mark became, will the line be able to hold up? And then they unleashed Aaron Donald, and it was like, the answer is no, right? That, that was like the exact worst ending that you would want if you're a Bengals fan, your quarterback who could get it done um, being sacked to end your Super Bowl hope. So that's one thing. And then you look at the Rams the other side with Cooper Cup having sort of a quiet game. And for most of the game, I'm thinking like, wow, the Bengals have figured something out as far as this scheme and keeping Cooper Cup quiet. I thought when Odell Beckham went down, there was really no chance that Cooper Cup would have any space to operate and that it would be pretty much double covers the way out, especially on that last drive. But that was like a, a display of will and determination. And if there's one thing that Matt Stafford has has been known for, it's his grit and determination in those situations. What he was determined to do on that last drive was throw it to Cooper Cup. Like it's like <laughs> I'm gonna get my guy the ball. We're gonna get into the end zone and and the Bengals just had no answer for it. And it was kind of um, you know, you watch a shooter get in the zone. I, I imagine people watch Steph Curry when he's like on fire and it's like, he's not going to miss, you know, it's was kind of watching the same thing. It's like Cooper Cubs going to be open. I don't know how, I don't know why he's going to find a way to get open and Stafford's going to find him. And that's how this game, this drive is going to end. And that's pretty much how it went, but overall a great game, a great Super Bowl, a, a great postseason for the NFL in the midst of everything. Great halftime show, a great overall yes. way to end the season for the NFL, considering kind of the turmoil that they've been going through from a PR standpoint. Uh, and the buildup to the Super Bowl, but the Super Bowl did not disappoint in any aspect, in my opinion. Wait, great halftime show. Are you glorifying thuggery and sexual anarchy? <laughs> I am, I guess. I mean, you know, yeah, some people take uh, take music and and what it what it inspires a little bit more seriously than I do. I think. <laughs> I think I'm a grown up. I'm an adult. I can uh, I can decipher that Snoop Dogg's fifty something years old or however old he is, and. He is not thuggery anymore. He's, 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 he's he made music that inspired a generation and spoke to whatever his messaging was. I understand full well the um, let's say the uh, pushback or the blowback that will come from certain groups based on the, the music choice for halftime. But at the same time, the, those artists, Dr. Dre, Stoop Dogg, Kendrick Lamar, uh, Fifty Cent, Mary J. Blige, and Eminem defined a generation of what is arguably the most popular music in mainstream uh culture right now um and and i think it's it was it was a fitting way to to kind of give them some respect and I, I don't even think that the lyrics or the the messaging was that negative if you if you want to go to what they could have done with that platform but no i i think everybody enjoyed it outside of a few political groups i guess that <laughs> that uh take themselves and everything around them a little bit too seriously Caleb, Caleb Herring joining us. It's very diplomatic. Not how I would have said it, but very diplomatic <laughs> of you. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, I did, when we talked about that final drive, I did want to get your thoughts as a quarterback on that throw. Everybody has seen it now at multiple angles. Matt Stafford with the look off of a safety and then basically a no-look throw to Cooper Cup. How impressive is that just from a quarterback perspective? It was uh, maybe impressive, I guess, from that lens because I didn't. I my take on that last throw was actually that it was a bad throw, and this this may not be a popular opinion. I don't know. I haven't really talked to too many people about it, 
but the placement of where he put the ball actually wasn't very good. Now, uh, and, and I would say the look off of the safety pretty much wasn't necessary because it's one on one all the way with that last throw. No, no, um, I'm sorry, not, I'm not talking about the touchdown. Uh, the one over the oh, middle okay. with a 27 yard gain, where oh that, that one, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The underneath coverage bit on the on the on the shallow route and yeah. the look off had a lot to do. Okay, so now I see what you're talking about. Like, okay, so we're going back a couple plays, but yeah. that throw to Cooper Cup on was it third down or I, that was a, a critical down, I believe, if yeah. I remember right. But, uh, yeah, that one was one of those things where it was a, a combination of the coverage needing to have some awareness. I mean, at, at that point in the game, like I said, I'm not looking to guard anyone but Cooper Cup. I'd, I would have gone down with someone else beating me. So if you're in that coverage, you're robbing underneath like that, you should be robbing only Cooper Cup's route, right? And um, I think that was a miscommunication. But it was, it was a gutsy throw by Stafford. That was a lot of anticipation behind that throw. Um, it was a risk, definitely, because – Let's say that that secondary player doesn't commit the way he did to the underneath route, and then that's an interception, right? Like that ball goes like a, a few feet away from the defender's ear as it as it makes its way to Cooper Cup. So that that was a great throw, that one. I, so apologize for for criticizing yeah. Stafford's great throw there, but no, it, it was a good throw, and and it was the throw that was needed for the win to be for for the the, the team to win the game, obviously. And those are the kind of throws that you talk about that that quarterbacks that make a difference in winning. Every, a lot of things went would have gone the same way for the Rams, regardless of who was playing quarterback. But there's key moments in every drive or in every comeback or in every Super Bowl win, really, where the quarterback makes his imprint. And I think that was Stafford's imprint. A couple of throws that he made during that Super Bowl were definitely his him leaving his mark on that Super Bowl win. A lot of talk about the game also. And we talk about that Bengals, that Bengals drive that fell short, basically stalled out around midfield, didn't really get going, uh, needing a field goal to tie the game. Uh, the third and one play, they have Samaj P. Ryan in, who is usually their third down back, but a lot of criticism of if you're going to hand the ball off, why give it to Samaj P. Ryan? Uh, if you put Mixon in the game, aren't you just saying we're running? Yeah, and I, I think there's a couple of things to me that say you're running. The fly sweep motion that they ran, that said that tipped everybody's hand that they were running, um, going along with just the play call, not just the personnel. But when they sent that the receiver in the fly sweep, you're not running a route and one of your receivers – is in the backfield, you know, faking a handoff or whatever. So that was a tip-off as well. Everybody's thinking run then. Um, but that's a situation in the game with a yard to go. If I'm making a decision to run it, with the time that's left, I have all my timeouts, so that's fine. But with a yard to go, I'm making that decision saying, I just really need to get this first down. I'm really not interested in tricking you. I want a yard. Go get me a yard. And in that situation, if that's the thinking, when you call that play in that situation in the middle of the field, um, you're basically saying I'm submitting that I just want a first down. I'm not even worried about time. I'm going to call a timeout anyway after I get it. So why not give yourself the best run option available? Your best play, your best player, um, Mixon, who'd been pretty much a walking two to three yard gain, even when it seemed like there wasn't much there in the second half for Mixon. He was making a way to, to get positive yardage. So um, I definitely would have had him on the field if I'm coaching that situation. Now, two-minute drill, things are flying. They're making this decision and, you know, all of 25 seconds, right? Um, so give some room for grace. But you're paid as a professional head coach to make those decisions. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that it was the wrong one to not have your best running back on the field in that situation should you decide to run the ball. So coming out of that game, Zach Taylor gets an extension. We good with this? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm – I, I don't know. I, I can't be mad at anybody getting their money, right? But I, I, I think it's very early for anybody to be getting an extension um, that's not named, you know, Joe Burrow or something like that, right? But, I mean, 
it, it's tough. You, you're trying to build a roster. You're trying to get some of this stuff out of the way to to maybe get a head start on the offseason, what you actually need to build, keep the pieces that you know in place. But I, I'm not sure that coming out of the Super Bowl this early that anybody should be getting contract extensions with the season just coming to a close. You really don't know what the free agent market looks like completely yet. So um, I, maybe well, for whatever reason they've pulled the trigger, that's that's what they felt like doing. So we'll we'll see if it pans out, I guess. So Kyler Murray is in an interesting spot. He deletes every Cardinals reference on social media. The team clearly comes out with a hit job, uh, trying to leak some things out about him. What is going on here? I mean, obviously we don't know. We don't know what somebody's feeling, but this seems very weird coming off a season where he was really, really good for about 14 weeks. It's 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 crazy to me because like, this is Kyler Murray's own doing from from what I as far as the public uh, fiasco that is kind of created. And we talked about it last week with the with the Instagram scrub, which is kind of like business negotiation now for some of these players. Um, but it, this was the definite outcome that was going to come of that. Right. The, the team um, gave a character assessment, basically, of Kyler Murray after the Instagram post, basically saying he has some immaturity issues. He does a lot of uh, finger pointing, which, to be fair to the Cardinals, even though that's kind of a smear campaign in, 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 in the current context, to be fair, that was kind of his criticism coming out of college. It's not like that was that's something that's so off base of who Kyler Murray is, right? Like, and and from personal just viewing, he has one of the worst body languages of all time as a quarterback to me, or not, maybe not of all time, but of current quarterbacks right now that are calling themselves stars in the NFL. His body language is terrible as far as leadership goes, and you know he he I'm a big guy about that as far as quarterbacks uh, about the body language and what that means for a team and how that is leadership for a quarterback. And I look at a guy like Joe Burrow and I watch his body language and how it kind of inspires the troops to go out and fight. Kyler Murray is the complete opposite. I put him and Ben Roethlisberger probably in the same category as far as their body language and what it, the messaging it says to the team. So for the Cardinals to say what they said, shouldn't come to a surprise to many people. This has kind of already been the Kyler Murray story. Um, and then on top of that, the way he performed in that last playoff game, that's the, you're only as good as what you've done for me lately. Whether it's the right thing or not, Going into any kind of contract extensions, I mean, he's under contract for another year. Going into any sort of discussions about getting an extension early for Kyler Murray, with that being the last thing that the ownership saw, that that interception, which is arguably the worst interception in postseason history, um, being the last thing that you really did to, to you know stake your claim as a franchise guy, you're in no position to, to be making this kind of fuss on your Instagram or, or sending any kind of messaging. Just take the criticism, try to get better, come back and work hard next season on the last year of your contract, and maybe try to earn the superstar status of a guy like Josh Allen or whoever else you're comparing yourself to across the league as a young up-and-coming star. But it's just a, it's, it's a mess, and this is why you don't do business like this. There's so much that gets lost in translation. What does he really mean? What right do the Cardinals have to respond to that? Like, how, how do you do your business out in public? And it's one of the best marriage advices that I ever got was – Keep your marriage between you. You know, you don't want to break up publicly unless you're really ready to break up. Because once you break up with your spouse to your family, they have to also forgive whatever the sin was. And then say you and your spouse work it out. Now there's that awkward tension every time you go to a family reunion where, like, your family now hates this image that you painted of the Cardinals, let's just say, of your girlfriend. And now they have to sit at Thanksgiving with her. Like, don't you kind of hate her? Don't, weren't you guys about to break up? Now that's even if the Cardinals work it out, there's going to be that awkward tension moving forward, like, Anytime something goes wrong, like Kyler throws a pick and the Cardinals are like, see, should have dropped them. <laughs> or like, you know, the, they don't make the playoffs. And, and Kyler Murray's like, see, you didn't get me the pieces I needed. 
there's always going to be that awkward tension. So keep in-house problems in-house as long as possible. This was an unnecessary public feud that's going to have a massive fallout, I think, for the Cardinals who are trying to piece together a, a, a possible contender in the NFC. There you go. Caleb Herring, football broadcaster slash marriage counselor. We love it. Always appreciate everything. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, including about UNLV's game in 2022 at Notre Dame. I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about leading up to that. We thank you, Caleb. Have a good one. All right. Have a good one, Adam. Take care. Thanks, man. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and company's eye on sports betting with John Von Tobel. It is Cofield and Company, Adam Hill here, Tom Zerbin, down here on the Strip right next to New York, New York, a short walk over from T-Mobile Arena where the Golden Knights will be playing tonight. Stop in, check it out, the party starter. It looks awesome. Wish I could have one. You guys can. Come on by, stop by. John, you could have one if you come on down here. Sounds good. I've never actually been down. I've been meaning to. It's on my list. There's a couple oh, yeah. of things that I'm going to do and take care of over the next week when my mother-in-law comes in town, and uh, okay. that might be one of them. Double margarita, watermelon, Red Bull, some hibiscus oh. syrup. It looks delicious. You got me at margaritas. I mean, there I'm a big go. margarita guy. There you go. Down here at Tom's Urban, John Von Tobel. Break down all sorts of stuff in the world uh, of sports betting. First of all, John, I want to get into this with you. It is amazing. Like, we know that sports betting is taking off. But, man, being at, at the Super Bowl and at Radio Row, it is nuts, man. Hey, how, how was it? Like, uh, was it... Like, I'm wondering, in terms of the grand scheme of things, was it more like they knew what was going on, but we're still asking kind of stupid questions? Or is it like, you know, like, what is this vibe around it when it comes a little, to sports A little betting? bit. I mean, it's more just the, like the presence. Like, all the major yeah. you know, sports betting outlets have the biggest installations at Radio Row, for sure. Um, and it's just everybody talking about it, everybody asking about it. Some, you know, different uh, sports betting people that we know making the rounds and, and, you know, a little bit better talk, you know, a little bit more informed, but still not there yet. But next year... First time we'll have it in a state with legal sports betting at the Super Bowl. It's going to be crazy. Yep, I, I, I'm excited to see what the uh, what the impact is going to be and uh, what we have the uh, NFL draft coming up in Las Vegas, and oh, that's yeah. in the jurisdiction, obviously, with oh, legal yeah. sports betting. So that's going to be fantastic too. So I'm excited to see what these trades do for the Nets and the Sixers. And are you excited about the Nets actually doing what we thought they could do now that they're kind of squared away? They've got Simmons instead of Harden. Seems like it may maybe a better fit on the team. How are they going to be down the stretch? Yeah, I think so. Like you saw, like the Westgate Superbook when the trade went down, moved to ten to one. And you know, I, I keep telling the story that when I saw that, I was texting with Jeff Sherman. I was getting dressed to go bet them at ten to one because I was like, oh dude, I got I got to take a piece of the Brooklyn Nets at ten to one, double digits. That's cra- That's that's a good number. Uh, it moved immediately to eight to one. But it gives you a sense of like I think they're going to be pretty good. Like Ben Simmons is an awesome fit. But then you're talking about lineups with him, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Patty Mills. Right, any whoever you else you want to throw at center, right? Whoever that's going to be, whether it's the Marcus Aldridge or another Nick Claxton, like that's a really lethal lineup. And when you're talking about those guys getting out in transition and running with Ben Simmons leading the way, you know he can finish, he can kick it out to one of those two guys in half court sets. He's going to be fantastic on the other end. He's a really good defender. Kevin Durant is a very underrated defender in his own right too, especially if Joe Harris comes back, who's a rock solid, uh, rock solid uh, team defender who also gives them some size along the wing as a shooter. Like, I, I think it could work out really well for Brooklyn. It, it's it's a really nice fit for them, and he's young, which is the good thing, right? You're trading away James Harden, who's got a lot of miles on him, for a young guy who's going to be an all-defensive dude. I think I like it a lot for Brooklyn when it's fully formed. And one of the things that we can't really measure, uh, but we do know that it, it's relevant, is Patty Mills has known Ben Simmons since he was in elementary school. Yeah. Like, that could be a good influence on him. 
Oh, for sure. Well, and, and look, I know I'm sure you guys have talked about this. One of the things that has tired me throughout this entire process, we have no idea how Ben Simmons has felt. So the, the whole conversation of, well, because he's all better now, you don't know that. Ramona Shelburne already reported that he's going to continue to see his therapist in his time at Brooklyn anyway. So I, I would hesitate on making any proclamations about this dude's mental health. Getting out of a toxic situation, whether you perceived it to be or not, he clearly did, could do wonders for a guy mentally. And then being alongside a dude, like you said, who he knows, and Patty Mills can make that transition all that more comfortable. So, yeah, I, I think it's a really good deal for both teams, it, especially if we get Harden from last year, right, or from out of his career. And for Ben Simmons, you know, again, I'm not going to assume anything, so it's good for him to get into a place where he seems comfortable. And on the other side, like I've seen people say, well, is Harden really any better than Simmons? It's not Harden better than Simmons. Harden better than anyone. They didn't have anybody. Right. Like, and that was the thing. Like, they needed somebody to fill that role. And, and he. this is the cool part about it. With If you look at James Harden, and um, Howard Beck made this point uh, when he was on Zach Lowe's podcast earlier this week, which was when you look at the stars that James Harden has teamed up with, right, it's been Russell Westbrook. It's been Chris Paul. It has been Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But for the most part, it has been ball-dominant guys who kind of play uh, off of them a little bit, but alongside of them and essentially take your turn. This is a matchup where it fits beautifully with one another, right? Like that's a two-man game in and of itself with, with Joel Embiid and James Harden. Those pick-and-rolls are going to be devastating for opposing defenses because you can't switch that in any way whatsoever or also exploit whatever is going to be on the other end of that. It's just a really dynamic fit on offense. And then you get to move Maxi over, who's good at playing off ball. Tobias Harris, we know who he is, right? Like there's a lot, I think, there for this offense to be extremely good, even if they're just going to go isolation and both of them take their turn. There's a lot of different things you can do with this offense. I think it's a great fit. So you can follow JVT at Twitter, on Twitter, at me, JVT. Check out all of his great takes. I know Jaron Jackson is tweeted about pretty much every day. Is he going to win the Defensive Player of the Year for you? So I, I don't know. I hope so. To, to, to rehash, for those who don't know, I have a 301 ticket on Jaron Jackson Jr. to win Defensive Player of the Year. He's down to about 7-1, to one, depending on where you look. And uh, just the other day, big news was listed for the first time this season to the NBA defensive player ladder. Uh, for those who don't know, it's an article up on the website, uh, and it generally gives you a good idea of how these awards are going to play out. They have an MVP ladder. They have a Rookie of the Year ladder. Uh, and he's third right now on the list, but he's appeared on the list, which is a very good thing, which means he is in the <laughs> eye of the mainstream media to win Defensive Player of the Year, which I am obviously so down for. If I can get him as a finalist and I can get off a 301 ticket uh, at some form, you know, hedge a little bit on both ends, oh, man, I'd be a happy guy. Uh, do we have to start betting on Boston to potentially be a threat to win the title? So I, you can still, I think you can find a forty to one. I look, I think it would be worth it if you can get them in that range, uh, and that would be probably the best one that I think that would be the shortest I would go here for Boston. They have won uh, what they have won eleven out of twelve games. They have won nine straight all season long. They've been one of the best defensive teams in the league, and now they've taken over the top spot in terms of defensive efficiency. And this run they've been on has been incredible. If you look at the five of the last seven opponents have been held to under a point per possession, they have been nuts on that end of the floor. And the thing that worries me about them, Adam, is offensively they're not great. But if you look at the way the bracket breaks down, like if they – right now they're in control of the sixth seed. A first-round matchup as it stands would be the Chicago Bulls. That's a winnable series for the Boston Celtics. Uh, they have taken it to the Miami Heat all the times that they have faced them up to this point this year. So they got some good performances against the teams above them. They have owned historically the Philadelphia 76ers. So we'll see what that looks like with, a, with Harden out there. But this team has all the pieces defensively to be one of the best in the Eastern Conference. I bet them a couple of days ago at 66-1 to 1 to win the finals. And like I said, they're down to like 30-1 to 1 for the most part. Uh, I am not as bullish on them, by the way, as 538, whose Raptor projections actually have them as the finals favorite, the most likely team to win the NBA finals. 
but I think that this is at a longer shot at about 40 to one. If you can still find it somewhere, I think it would be totally worth it. And you're definitely betting the Bengals every way you can to win the title next year, right? Every way uh, I can for them to fail. Absolutely. Uh, some <laughs> spots have them like 14, 12 to one to win the Super Bowl. I mean, look, it was a good run, but we have to realize what this team was and they could add pieces and they could be better, but they're clearly going to be overvalued by the market. They're not the third, fourth best team in the NFL, you know, no matter what they add next year. And I think that this is going to be an opportunity. Like if we're talking like win total of like 10 and a half or something like that, I'm definitely going to be betting unders in any way I can against the, uh, against the Cincinnati Bengals next season. John, you're the man to remind people in the uh, terrestrial world of where you are on VSIN, what days, what time? Uh, VSIN Monday through Friday, uh, 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, you can watch at vsin.com or listen to iHeart. Uh, might be another day added in there. There are some conversations. So uh, hopefully keep an eye out for that. Nice. Thanks, John. Good to talk to you guys. Thank you. There is our buddy John Von Tobel. Caller 7 right now, 364-1100, Two tickets to check out Volbeat. Servant of the road tour at the theater at Virgin Las Vegas. The show is March 4th, 7 o'clock show. You can get your own tickets at AXS.com. But Volbeat tickets right now. Talk to Ari. He'll hook you up. 364-1100. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. It's Cofield & Company's eye on sports gambling. I'm going to kill your bookmaker. I'm going to rip his throat out. I will step on his throat until the man chokes. Let me tell you how. Winners, 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 winners. Free, 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 free. All right, Adam. Football is uh, kind of winding down, although not for you with the Raiders and the staff being put together and all the car contract rumors out there we'll get to that in the five o'clock hour are you getting a chance to turn any of your attention towards college basketball a little bit i mean obviously i i keep an eye on it um i feel like you know the next two weeks is when it really ramps up for most people and and i'll definitely get a lot more into it what has happened to you it's your favorite sport and you're like oh i can you know tournament season's here i can finally start watching it now well i mean i I used to try to follow everything and now it's now it's like you're old you're old and you're busy Oh, head down to the NFL just all day, every day. It's crazy. You've lost your passion. No, I still have the passion for it. I just don't have yeah. time for it. Uh, UNLV tonight is a six-point dog on the road against Fresno State. We'll get into the game a little bit more in just a few minutes. I want to remind you that uh, later this evening, 7.30 start, and Tyler Bischoff will be hanging out at PT's Pub. That's on Trop near Maryland, right near campus. It's PT's Pub where you can get – $10 Miller Lite pitchers during the game. There's a lot of UNLV prizes, shirts, hats, other goodies. You can enter for a chance to win beer for a year from Miller Lite. And Tyler also be signing people up for the chance to win a staycation at the Strat. It's PT's Pub, UNLV Watch Party, Miller Lite, ESPN Las Vegas, PT's Pub, Watch Party. Again, PT's Pub, 7.30 start tonight with Bischoff. You know, I keep seeing in our notes, because we all exchanged some notes before the show, I keep seeing, like, weird shots slash mentions about the NBA, and if we're going to ever talk about the NBA again. All of a sudden, now Ari, and Ari's the one taking the shots. (laughs) Who knew? Uh, Apparently, he's a hardcore NBA fan. We've already banned baseball from the show because of the stupid lockout. I mean, Ari, to Adam's point earlier, first of all, the NFL is king. College football is, I guess, queen. Uh, NBA is big. Okay, now now it's NBA time. Now we can get to it. And now, yes, we will comment on what I think is one of the dumbest trades <laughs> in recent history of the NBA, but 
I'm not calling the team making the deal dumb. I'm talking about their fans and the accompanying media, and it's not the media's job to make sure the team is good, but what the Philly fans just did to the Sixers with Ben Simmons, I hope you rue the day. I hope this hurts for years and years and years because it's your fault, your fault, that Ben Simmons was just given away, and I like James Harden in the short term, but this is an absurd deal. But Adam, it's a deal they had to make because she saw it seconds after Simmons struggled in that playoff series and passed up on the layup that he could never play in Philly again because their fans are out of their minds. Well, yes, but let's not just pretend it's only the fans. I mean, that was, he was thrown under the bus by his teammates, and I mean, that that meme that Joel Embiid sent out after the trade just told you everything you need to know. Like, that was vicious at, at, at Ben Simmons. So, I mean, it wasn't just the fans. I mean, I agree with you. The fans had a lot to do with it because of the way they treated him. But it was teammates and coaches as well. It was a lot of people around that organization that put them in a bad spot. And then, yeah, the trade wasn't great for them long term, but they had nothing right now. Like, they do have a window to try to win a title, and they had nobody playing in that spot. Like, it wasn't like they they traded away. You know, it's not like they're improving from Simmons to Harden. They're improving from nothing to Harden. They had nothing in right. far, as far as contribution. So, yeah, they could have waited till the offseason, maybe got more. But that, that well was so poisoned. Like, there was nothing they were going to do this year, and that was not just fans. That was also the team. And it was a really weird spot for them. You don't want to go through a whole season – and just throw it away and say, well, we had no, we had an asset that we could have got something for, and we held on to him because we wanted to get more down the road. Like, I, I get that. I would probably want to play that way. But, man, they, they, they can't just go through this year and just waste it. Do you feel confident Simmons is going to go to the Nets, get it up and running pretty quickly, and be reliable for the next, you know, four or five years? I mean, I, yeah, I feel fairly confident in Ben Simmons as a player, especially uh, as I kind of reference with JVT, like, Having Patty Mills there, a guy that's kind of known him and been a bit of a mentor since elementary school, is probably very helpful uh, to him as well. Uh, yeah, I think he's going to be good for them. I, I don't know that this means they're going to all of a sudden turn it on and everybody's going to be healthy and they're going to make a run and try to win a title, but um, I, I think it's a better spot for him. Do you like Kyrie as a mentor? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> you couldn't even you couldn't contain it. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I, I hope that Ben Simmons understands that the earth is not flat and all those things, too. Oh, boy. Uh, speaking of Kyrie, what's the deal with the league now coming out? Well, not the league. Adam Silver coming out and saying, uh, yeah, you know, the the Vax inconsistencies are a little bit weird. Yeah, and I think, I mean, there's a good point. And Adam Silver said, you know, he said, hey, listen, I'm not anti-Vax. He said, I wanted a mandate in the league where it had to be 100%, and if you didn't, you weren't going to play. He's like, but the players union fought back on it. We're at like 98%. There's a couple of players that aren't. Um, but he said, in this case, where he said, I'm totally for protecting the fans and everybody in the environment and the, you know, the the staff and everybody that's going to be around the players. I'm for it. But why are we allowing visiting players that are unvaxxed to play and not the home team guys? It makes zero sense, which is actually true. Like that's that's a very true statement. And it sounds like already. Uh, some of the politicians in New York are getting behind Adam Silver and saying, yes, this is true. Um, I would say don't let the visiting players that aren't vaccinated play and, and make it fair that way. 
But right. I think they're, they're going to allow – I think they're going to start allowing Kyrie Irving to play. If ultimately that rule is about protecting people who are in the arena, it just doesn't quite make sense to me that an away player who's unvaccinated can play in Barclays, but the home player can't. So to me, that's a reason they should take a look at that ordinance. Great job. Great pull by Ari. I heard that on ESPN National earlier, and it was like 37 seconds. I'm like, just get to the point. Come on. (laughs) All right. I mean that. That was a good job by Ari. Um, Adam, speaking of sports and trying to keep up with everything, and that's our jobs, you are on the hockey beat with VGK as, like, the, the fifth guy on the beat, but I know you love the Olympics, so. All right, what just happened with our uh, Z team from USA in the Olympics? We stink. We uh, stink. We stink. <laughs> well, last night was, was the quarterfinal matchup against Slovakia. Uh, U.S. fell behind as they had three straight games, but they rallied, tied it up, then took the lead, had the lead. In the third period, had a five-on-three, didn't get a single shot, then had another power play with about six minutes left, didn't convert on that, left the door open. Slovakia slams it open by scoring a goal with 43 seconds left with the empty net and the extra attacker. Overtime was fun, three-on-three, ten minutes, a lot of chances, nobody scores. And then our shooters on the uh, on the shootout after the overtime went 0 for 5. 0 for 5 on the shootout. And goalie stood tall, but gave up one. And that was it. All she wrote for the U.S. No medal. No gold medal since 1980 for Team USA. Which, by the way, some of the headlines over the weekend of, you know, this is bringing up memories of 1980 with the underdog Americans. None of the teams were playing their NHL players. Like, what are you talking about? Settle down. And uh, that now looks even more foolish as they're out of the tournament. But even worse than that, Steve. The, the the women's curling team absolutely choked it away. How'd they just, choke? Just choked it away. I mean, they, they needed to win needed to win one of their final two, and in the second to last matchup of pool play, they had a lead up two in the ninth end. Just just allow one, and they went for they went for it all. They blew it and gave up a four a four point ninth end to go. Oh come on! Two down two, lost, and then today had a chance. Winning her in again, and they collapsed and lost. So they are out. The men's team, which I am, by the way, all in on Carlin. Uh, the men's team is playing Clearly. right now, about 20 minutes, I think, from now they start. Winning their in into uh, into the semifinals. If they lose, they are out too. But here's the, gr- the great thing, as you know for me. If they win this matchup right now, they get a little break, and then 4 a.m. Vegas time, they are back for a semifinal matchup. So if they win this one that's coming up right now, They'll be playing at 4 a.m. in the semifinals. That's fun. Oh, wow. That is right up your alley. Oh, I love it. That's your viewing sweet spot. And for anyone at the station who is looking for Adam Hill between about 9A and 11A, do you not listen to the show? That is the only window that he has to sleep, unless there's something going on with the Raiders. So go to bed at 7 o'clock. That's all all you have. He's watching the Olympics overnight, and then it's Raiders for freaking 18 hours. A day. Come on, get it straight. You know, it's Adam Hill. 